Hello, my name is Lola Ciaro and welcome or welcome back to the Blue Hour podcast. Recorded on the world's last cassette tape, sometime in the early hours where reality doesn't feel like it exists. This is episode one. <laughs> Tonight we're talking about three short stories by Alice Munro called Chance, Silence and Soon, which are all a part of her collection Runaway. We will be comparing this to a film adaptation titled Julieta by Pedro Almodovar. I apologise in advance for all my Spanish pronunciations. I'll explain later on why I decided to not translate certain things into English. Uh, I think that's everything, so with that being said, let's get into the intro for the first episode. Okay, hello, hello guys. Say hello, Alice. Hello. <laughs> uh, we, we think we're going to start these episodes with uh, a hot drink of the night and then a peek and pit so you guys can get to know us a little better, our interests, what makes us happy, what makes us sad. So <laughs> what, what's your hot drink of the night, Alice? Um, I'm drinking a really exciting blend of lemon and water. It's not hot, but it is a drink, and I am drinking it. It works. <laughs> and I've got ginger ginger tea with some fresh lemon squeezed in it. Ever since I was a child, we got this really specific ginger tea brand from China, and yeah, <laughs> I don't know why, but you can find it in like international food markets. Mm. Um, it's it's the best like tops any other brand out there so yeah do not right. my throat because i did not anticipate how hard it is to talk for like an hour on a podcast but I, i'm starting to realize so you're awake you're awake though yeah i'm awake i had um a cheeky late night coffee <laughs> <laughs> so gonna regret that in a few hours but i'm awake are you awake i'm awake okay great um Quick hello to the YouTubes. Oh, hey, hey, YouTube. <laughs> um, okay, do you want to do peak and pit? Sure. Um, let's start with pit and on a high. Okay, you go. Um, my <laughs> pit of the week is super general, but just mental health in the gutter, in the drain. Lockdown 2.0, UK lockdown 2.0. Starting to get a little bit hard. <laughs> just a little bit um but it's fine <laughs> once you hit rock bottom there's no <laughs> there's no place but up uh, again <laughs> you know the saying <laughs> I, do, do i know the saying <laughs> what's your pit of the week um by the way i'm not just ignoring that she said my mental health in the gutter i already knew that <laughs> so um, something about Lola and I, we, we're always in sync. My mental health has been on the floor this week, <laughs> but less, more just like anxious and jittery and like just irritable. Um, but usually I end up in a ball on the floor and this week I've been like still doing all the things I need to do. So it's fine. Everything's fine. What a way to start the first episode. 
<laughs> this is your introduction to us as people. We're really fun. We are, it's we're fun. really fun. <laughs> um, okay, peak. Mm-hmm. Oh, I had a whole peak in my mind and then it's just, it's just gone. But let me think. Uh, my peak of the week is I'm slowly getting into the Christmas spirit. Last year, I have this thing where I feel like it's too early or too late to get into the Christmas spirit. So last year, I just didn't. And I got the Christmas day and I was like, oh, I kind of regret that. I wish I was like listening to the music, putting up the lights. Um, so I, what I did was I baked a spice apple cake and just like the flavours of Christmas really like put me in that mood. So now I've got some lights up. I'm going to do the tree hopefully this week. So yeah, just going full out Christmas as, as if I was a child. I feel like 2020 warrants that. <laughs> yeah, we haven't done that in a while, isn't it? Mm. In a really long time. Yeah. Um, I think we're on the same page. I have not been feeling Christmas this year. I'm just sad that Christmas isn't going to be like Christmas, Christmas. But I was looking at Advent calendars today and I'm getting I'm getting excited again, but I don't know if I'm gonna put up a tree, you know. And I I always put up like a little one. We're not like my family aren't big on it or anything, but I always do something to make me feel. But I don't know if I'm gonna do a tree this year, so we'll see. My peak is that today I really pulled myself out of it, and it was the last day of the week. I did everything on my schedule, did some training did a workout, did like a 10 minute walk, but it's okay. <laughs> <I did that. laughs> um, so we're starting, we're ending the week strong. So hopefully I can go into the new week less icky. Yeah. And Alice is in charge of our social media. So maybe she'll give you guys a little update uh, when this episode goes live on Tuesday. I will about how she's doing. How we're doing, <laughs> how we're doing exactly. Mm-hmm. How we're doing. <laughs> Okay, so before we start the main episode, I'm just letting you know, I'll give you a spoiler warning just before all the spoilers start for the books, the book and the film. Uh, so don't worry about that. It'll be coming up. Okay, so now you know we're going to give you a spoiler warning before the spoiler section starts. That's such a tongue twister. I also want to explain that in these episodes where we we are or I'm comparing books to films, um, Alice is taking a little bit of a back seat. She's in more of a producer role, making sure all of our technology is good, that <laughs> uh, everything's flowing narr- of the narrative. And in our bonus episodes, which you'll have your first one next Tuesday, Alice will be much 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 more vocal so from now on she's gonna pop in here and there and in the conclusion to the episode um and you have to put up with my voice for a little bit (laughs) yeah so I'm in the co-producer role your host is Lola so I'm you're gonna hear me chime in every once in a while but don't be confused when I'm just silent I'm here she's here well, we're not in the same place because we are following the guidelines, <laughs> but we're both here in, in but we're spirit. Here. Yeah. <laughs> in the podcast realm, but we're not together. No. 
No. <laughs> Boris Johnson, He's leave good. us alone. <laughs> Don't come for us. But, but a live podcast, I mean, not a live, a together, whatever that means, podcast mm. will be coming soon because that lockdown is about to be lifted. Yes, two days left. Okay, so before we get into the main part of this episode where I talk about what I liked about the book and the film and the different mediums, I thought it would be interesting to give you guys a bit more background behind the writer and the filmmaker. So let's start with Alice Munro. The first thing you'll probably find out about Alice is that she is a Nobel Prize winner. She won the Nobel Prize for Literature, which obviously is such an incredible feat. Just imagine being able to say that you've won a Nobel Prize. That's just amazing. Um, But the main reason she won this is because she's widely credited as legitimising the short story, uh, sort of as its own genre. Before Alice, really, the short story had a historically bad reception amongst critics. It was seen a little bit as practice for a writer before they did the main thing, the thing that's worth critiquing, which would be a novel or a book. I didn't realise this was how people viewed short stories and now I think that I think about it, I guess it's the same way people view short films in the film world. So it would be really cool if a filmmaker came along and actually just did short story, short films. Um, and just thinking about how much that would shake up the industry, I really understand why Alice is so sort of cool. Um, Personally, I quite like short stories. I quite like the ones from J.D. Salinger, um, like Franny and Zoe, which I know is a sort more of a novella. But yeah, and also in my first year of university, as part of my coursework, I talked about short stories and how interesting I found them. And I had a professor tell me that I should definitely include Alice Munro, and I can't really talk about short stories without her. And I didn't. I didn't take her advice because I truly just didn't understand how huge she was in this genre. But now I get it. (laughs) Um, A really big thing of Alice's stories is that she uses the short genre to play with sort of time and understanding. So having a new paragraph start is perfect justification for her to take the entire narrative back 20 years or forward 20 years. And then in the next paragraph, she's like back in the present. I found this incredibly confusing at first, but after a while I got used to it and I understood what she was trying to do, telling people's stories out of order and the different emotions this will sort of make us feel. So Alice grew up in Wingham, Canada, a small sleepy town, much like the ones her characters tend to live in. Her characters are overtly Canadian and women, (laughs) they're Canadian women and I never really thought of that as an identity but um, I guess now I sort of see what she's doing. Alice is the daughter of a farmer and school teacher. Uh, Much like the character Juliet actually we'll be talking today, her 
father was a school teacher and farmer and her mum was a school teacher. In an interview titled Alice Munro in her own words, she describes the moment that spurred her love for storytelling. She said, well, I got interested in storytelling very early as a story was read to me by Hans Christian Andersen, which was The Little Mermaid. And I didn't know, and I don't know if you remember The Little Mermaid, but it's dreadfully sad. Even this statement shows how time works for her. I highly doubt Hans Christian Andersen read The Little Mermaid to her personally, but sort of in her mind, it was a perfect moment to just add that little detail. <laughs> So after she heard the story of the Little Mermaid the first time round, she said she walked around her house for hours trying to rewrite the ending to give the Little Mermaid the happy ending that she deserved. I find this incredibly interesting because she's known for not giving the heroines of her work a happy ending. They usually have either quite an abrupt muted ending or just a plain sad one. <laughs> um, and yeah, she said, um, in those early days, the importance was the happy ending. I did not tolerate unhappy endings from a heroine anyways. I also just sort of want women to be happy. I hate when women or any other minorities in something, uh, you just know that they have a hard life and then we have to sit there and watch or read them have an incredibly hard life. <laughs> And I just like don't like to see it. I want them to be happy, at least in fiction, but I understand that she's going for more something more realistic than that. That's um, the way, sorry if I can interrupt. That is something that I always notice too. It's, oh, they just have to suffer so <laughs> much. Yeah, yeah. I, oh. It's like a whole different conversation, but it just gets so hard. Yeah, we will have that. <laughs> it gets so hard sometimes. It's so annoying. <laughs> um, from watching interviews of Alice, I would describe her as quiet. She has quite a strong personality. She very, very, very rarely gives interviews, especially ones where you can see her. They're usually in print. Um, but she has this very strong personality. She's not taking any ish from the interviewers. She doesn't like their questions. Uh, she's also witty, but not interested in being the biggest personality in the room. Apparently, she was described as a shy housewife uh, when she won her first award. Originally, I felt quite offended on her behalf, but then I realised that I don't think she would have found this offensive. I think the title Shy Housewife isn't a bad thing to her and to me, but um, it's not understanding all the things that can be behind that title. Yeah, she's a shy housewife, but she's also a Nobel Prize winner. You could be a shy housewife and, I don't know, have a PhD, <laughs> like um, Juliet, who we'll meet later from her books. She really is just what she writes. Um, the people, the sort of, I don't know, emotional circumstances seem just so personal to her without being about her. So in Alice's career, six different film adaptations have been made based on her work with Julieta by Pedro Almodóvar being the latest, which came out in 2016.
and now on to Pedro Almodovar. Before we start talking about Julieta, I just wanted to give a bit of background about the other films of his that I've seen. So I've seen Voltaire and Pain and Glory or Dolori Gloria. Uh, I watched these through the lens of Pain and Glory being nominated for an Oscar this year, 2020. I can't believe the Oscars was this year. <laughs> I feel like I was born this year. But <laughs> yeah, I can't believe we're not together as watching together watching the Oscars. And now next year's ruined too because no films came out this year. Yeah, have you realised that we haven't even spoken about it? Usually um, Lola and I like obsessively message each other or we're together whenever there's an award show. And um, there's been like five and we, not five, but there's been lots and we haven't even spoken about it. Cause who cares? I don't even know when, yeah, who cares? And also I don't even know when they're happening. It's just yeah. like this person won this and I was like, wow, good for that. I like, they know beforehand because they have to dress up and go there to an empty stage so it's just not the same yeah that's true i don't even think about that i know everyone's trying to do the thing of like let's do as much as we can but i just don't care enough for you to have an award show it's not even an award show (laughs) yeah that is true but we took the Oscars so seriously this year we had like a chart to make sure everyone at least um, like one person in the room had seen a film so that we all we saw basically all of them and came together put our expertise together it was such a good night that was so fun. <laughs> I know when was that March I know <laughs> that feels like three and a half years ago yeah I thought when I was looking back I was like surely this film was nominated like in 2018 but no it was this year Okay, carry on. <laughs> uh, what I was about to say about Pain and Glory being nominated for an Oscar was I actually felt like it did his work a disservice. Obviously, all of Pedro's films are in Spanish, so he was nominated in the Best Foreign Language Film. I think that's the new title they have for that category. And um, I don't... I, to me, his work is just so other from everything else that's happening in Hollywood. It's not better or worse. It's just, it's in its own world. I feel like you can't compare a Pedro Almodovar film to anything else other than his other films. They're so self-referential and sort of critique themselves and how he's progressed as an artist and goes back and relooks. Re- retells and re-looks things that he's done in the past so and, you know I thought it was quite weird for it to be nominate, nominated for an Oscar um, I just like to think of this film as their own thing and it's just sad because Parasite I mean not to be that podcast talking about Parasite but <laughs> I feel sorry for every other film that came out in 2019 <laughs> yeah you know how good that film is we went to central london <laughs> found out that i booked the tickets for the wrong day just went back to alice's house and watched a pirated copy of it <laughs> well we couldn't sorry. even see all the details yes yeah, sorry sorry bong director bong but we, in fairness we paid yeah we paid it. <laughs> we didn't watch it through that 
It's very, very true. You got our money. You got yeah, our actually, money. I take, I take back that sorry. I think we earned that. We even paid for the train up there. Yeah, exactly. And it was, it was, uh, what's that cinema called? Criterion? It's yeah, it like the cheap. most expensive cinema in England. By, by the way, did we watch something else? Or did we just go straight away? No, we we got we got by Chloe our favorite LA inspired vegan food in London, and we just went back to Alice's house. This is true. Was that the first time we ate at where Chloe or second? It might have been the first. Oh, do you know what? It was worth it. We watched Parasite that day. We found by Chloe. It was perfect because we wouldn't have found it if we had watched it there. Yeah. Um, we love that place that is where we live now when we're allowed to be out of the house <laughs> we love that place love us some la food <laughs> yeah we're such fake and never been there Don't have to to <laughs> oh my gosh we're so off track i don't even know <laughs> where right. we started and mute <laughs> okay so yeah, Pain and Glory was up against Parasite, which is hard. But even if it wasn't, I think it should have just had their own Pedro section of the Oscars. Just a Pedro film up against a Pedro film. So let's go back. Let's go back in time. Let's learn a little bit more about Pedro Almodovar. So he was born in a small rural town, starting to sound quite similar to Alice Monroe, in a province called Ciudad Real. It's landlocked in the sort of mid-south of Spain. So um, I'm not going to go into sort of the history of Spain and the different areas, but if you know, you know that being from southern Spain is quite different from being from, say, Madrid. His, he's a son of winemakers. His dad made the wine and his mum owned a wine shop, a winery. His mother also read and transcribed letters for their illiterate neighbours. I just found this so interesting and something an Alice Munro character would definitely do. So, so far Alice and Pedro both grew up children of hard-working small-town parents um, who have sort of a level of education maybe not typical of a small town. Um, something we see in both Runaway and Julieta that we'll be talking about today. Unlike Alice, Pedro made the move to the big city at 18. Every place has its big city. Here in the UK we have London, there's LA, New York, I don't know, <laughs> Vancouver in Canada. Um, but we're talking about Madrid here. He moved to Madrid at 18. This was entirely against his parents' wishes. Oh, Alice is here. <laughs> she, she heard Madrid. <laughs> I just, he might be ahead of us, but that is in our future. Just wanted to jump on and say Madrid. We're coming for you. Actually, you stay because I think you're going to have something to say about <laughs> this next section. Okay. <laughs> so this was entirely against his parents' wishes, this move to Madrid. But I think he did it out of a need to further his art, not to disrespect them. He actually became part of something called La Movida Madrilena, or the Madrid scene. It's basically 
this huge movement of liberation post-fascism in Spain where uh, you know you couldn't really have freedom of speech in Spain <laughs> um, so he was part of this huge movement but he still needed money to sort of further his art so he worked odd jobs in order to make short films he eventually bought a camera to make his own films but he couldn't afford the audios they were completely silent this is where things get a little bit weird something i haven't mentioned yet is that pedro was sent to a catholic boarding school as sort of a preteen. he's also gay this is a mix that just never goes down well um, at sexuality outside of heterosexuality and Catholicism. And from the very beginning, this influenced his art. His first short films were extremely, extremely sexual. I can't even name them or I'd have to put an explicit warning on this episode. <laughs> and the way he got people to see his incredibly sexual short films is he went to parties and he bought his own stereo for the music and because he couldn't afford the audio he did all the character voices and sound effects himself <laughs> alice can you imagine going to a party and there's this guy with his like boom box doing all the audio and character voices <laughs> for his short films that i can't even name <laughs> I feel like older filmmakers always have the most interesting origin stories, yeah. right? Yeah. Now so it's like... I'm like from these rural towns and now it's just like everyone's from LA and he just has a script and... I well, it's like... So pessimistic, but like, it's true. Yeah, it's like where, where, where is the living before the art, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, where's the <laughs> the struggle the weird things the fun things now it's kind of like okay you leave university or school get to like be a runner work your way up and it's like no he really paved the way for himself he carved his own way into this industry i mean it's so funny and so interesting i really yeah. want to see some of his films <laughs> uh, his, his earlier short films yeah. Eventually, he self-funded his first feature-length film, Pepe Lucy Bomb, for 400,000 pesatas, which is the old Spanish currency. Uh, I've looked this up for you guys, don't even worry, put your phones away. <laughs> That's 2,400 euros, 2,100 pounds, and 2,800 American dollars. Imagine making a film on that price, that, the, the innovation, <laughs> the innovation. The rest is history. He's now one of the most recognisable Spanish directors ever, with a cult-like following both in and outside the Spanish-speaking world. He's been working consistently for decades. He's in his 70s, still going, you know, was nominated for an Oscar this, this year. And his style is so distinctive and interesting to watch that people never get bored of him telling these really sort of quotidian everyday stories mainly about women okay so that's pedro and alice okay guys here's your official spoiler warning 
consider yourself warned do come back once you're done reading watching but have fun and we'll see you soon we'll be waiting <laughs> or just stay and be spoiled yeah i mean i personally have never understood spoiler warnings like if i've clicked on that episode i'm spoiling it for myself i don't care and I am what you call, sorry, I'm what you call a spoiler. Yeah, um, she can't. She told me you gossip girls. <laughs> oh my god. She was really angry at me. That was like the first time that she was ever annoyed about something. Like that. Not annoyed, but she was like, I'm not going to watch it now. And I was like, oh, sorry. That was, that was like six months into our friendship. <laughs> so like, I didn't know yet that Alice was a spoiler. Um, <laughs> I'm a spoiler in every sense of the word I spoil presents that I buy I spoil outings I spoil films shows, yeah. whatever <laughs> great what is Runaway about? so I didn't read the entire of entirety of Runaway in preparation for this episode just because the characters that we're following are only in the three short stories Silence, Soon and Chance. If you read the entire collection including the stories about other women do let me know if you think this sort of shaped your understanding of what Alice Munro was trying to do here. Part of me thinks I should have read it all but then part of me is like but the film's not based on it all so I don't really know what to do. <laughs> Runaway follows a Canadian woman named Juliet, starting from when she is 21, and we see various moments throughout her entire life. Juliet is something of a prodigy. <laughs> she has a PhD at 21. I'm 21, and I'm nowhere near finishing my undergrad. Like, this is nothing short what? of amazing. I know. When I read that, I was like, did she fact check this? Like, is that actually possible? Lola, do you remember when we were when we were young enough that, like, every age was achievable? Like, someone would do something, you'd be like, oh, when I'm 18. <laughs> you know, I mean... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all, the, all the Disney stars, I'd, like, look at them and be like, oh, when I'm their age, like, I will have done something... <laughs> Yeah. I think Kylie Jenner was the first I, I know. Kylie Jenner, I swear to God, was the first time to myself where I was like, Oh, maybe I should start doing some stuff. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. But Julia she has a PhD at twenty one. I personally I don't think that's possible. If you message me and say that's possible. I maintain my right to believe that you do not exist. <laughs> okay, so we meet Juliet as a 21-year-old doing really well for herself in academia as a classicist. She really focuses on ancient Greece. She's also a, uh, a young woman in the 1960s. So then there we go again. Very, very impressive that she sort of forged this path for herself in education as a 1960s woman. The first short story, Chance, tells the story of how Juliet meets her partner Eric and eventually gives up her big city academic, academic life to be a fisherman's wife and the mother of his child. Soon follows Juliet 
and her and Eric's daughter Penelope as they visit Juliet's parents in the small town where she grew up. Now, I'm not entirely, I know not much about Canada and what it was like in the 60s, but um, her parents are from Ontario. Um, I That doesn't sound like a small town to me. I feel like I've heard that before, but <laughs> just a little, a little note. The final short story, Silence, chronicles the late adult life of Juliet. Eric has died in a fishing accident and a newly adult Penelope has moved away from her mother with no contact or clues about her whereabouts. Silence ends with Penelope never making contact with her mother and they go years and years without talking at all. Um, and so what is Julietta about? What is Julietta the film about? Juliet becomes Julietta, Eric becomes Juan, and Penelope becomes Antia. The first obvious change from the book to film is the name. Pedro considered making this film in English, but actually I heard one commentator say he brought the story home. The promo pictures are in yellow and red, the colours of the Spanish flag, and there's an overtly Spanish, Spain specifically, but Spanish tinge to Julieta that completely strips it of this Canadian identity that Alice Munro had. Um, Julieta tells Julieta's story through flashbacks. We first meet Julieta as an old woman, maybe in her 50s, and then we go back to her 21-year-old life, prompted by letters she writes to her daughter Antia, who she hasn't seen in years. Once we go back in time with the flashbacks, uh, they stay in chronological order. It's not very experimental. It's present-day Julieta and young Julieta gradually getting older. The first noticeable difference in Julieta is the prevalence of colour. It would not be a Pedro Almodovar film if there wasn't a lot of different colours going on with different meanings and symbolisms. So the first two colours are yellow and red, which we see in the promo pictures. As I mentioned before, the colours of the Spanish flag. Um, red in all Almodovar films is very very prevalent um it's this in your face color that sort of represents these emotions that you just won't let up however in my opinion blue is the most prominent color in julieta there is a scene when julieta first walks into schwann's seaside home and she sees the sea and it's honestly one of the most beautiful shots i've seen in a long time probably all year it's just stunning and sort of as Julieta gets older and she gains more life experience more guilt more shame more sadness um these colors sort of follow her as well Pedro said in an interview that he likes the quote-unquote artificial value color has in his films in a way, the only real sort of non-theatrical thing about his films is the emotions being displayed, these really raw human emotions. Everything else 
looks like something I don't know from like Art Attack. <laughs> it was a, a kid show when we were kids where the adults were just sort of dwarfed by these toy like really colourful. <laughs> uh, Alice is like really laughing right now, <laughs> but these toy like really really colourful scenery and objects. I wouldn't say that I can visualise very vivid colours in the three Alice Munro short stories. In fact, the only time colour was really emphasised, it was to describe the scenery as grey. This change is in part mostly just to do with the fact that Pedro Almodovar couldn't leave colour alone if he tried, but also um, he's taken these long descriptions of what is happening and he's really utilised the medium of film to have these characters be a lot more silent and give a lot less away than they do in Alice Munro's short stories and as a result the colours around them are sort of like their medium of explaining what's happening. I think the muted colours works well in the short stories because the emotions are also a lot, a lot more muted. They don't burn or simmer, they just sort of ache. Unlike Julieta, there are no outbursts, but simply just like a prolonged agony. The guilt Juliet feels surrounding her husband's death and her daughter wanting nothing to do with her sort of becomes part of the background of her life, part of the good and bad mixture of emotions we feel every day. Julieta's guilt completely consumes her, to the point she wanders the streets visiting places that remind her of Antia and slowly loses her mental health. <laughs> um, and so I think it's fitting that they also had different endings. Juliet's muted pain leaves her to never really find or hear from her daughter and she spends presumably the rest of her life just wondering what she could have done better and hoping but not expecting to hear from Penelope ever again. Julieta gets an ambiguous letter from Antia letting her know that she understands her now that her own son has passed away through drowning and there is a return address on the letter. Julieta sees this as an invitation to go and visit Antia. Her burning pain that was completely consuming her and probably would have killed her if she hadn't heard from Antia is sort of rewarded with this bittersweet ending where maybe things might have a different turn, a turn for the better. With Juliet there's a sense of history repeating herself. We hear a we hear a lot more from Juliet's mother Sarah in the book and a few months before Sarah passes away she tells Juliet that she knows she can get through the day because she'll hear from Juliet soon not realizing through her mental state as someone presumably in the late stages of Alzheimer's that she won't hear from Juliet soon and that her daughter sees her life as something very separate from her mother's. Juliet's sort of gets a, a touch of karma in Penelope also seeing her life as incredibly separate from her mother's.
Okay, so <laughs> the relationship between Juliet and Penelope versus the relationship between Julieta and Antia, we get to see a lot more of Juliet slash Julieta's daughter in the film as well. Something about this change of medium has taken the narrative out of Juliet's head and put it into the wider world of the wider circumstances we get to see not only what she does good or bad in her life but also the things outside of her control that make her life good or bad we don't see Penelope at all really especially as an adult in the book um, once she's gone she's pretty much gone and sort of the ghost of her absence takes her place in Julieta, we see a lot more of Antia, especially her as a preteen taking care of her depressed mother following her father's death. We also have the addition of Antia having a relationship with one of her best friends, who's also a girl. This is something that is perhaps alluded to in Alice Munro's stories. She talks of uh, Penelope and her best friend being inseparable and not really wanting to talk to the boys on the streets. Um, Pedro takes this and sort of adds in this either gay or just questioning narrative of these two girls finding solace in each other. Um, I There's very few Pedro films that don't include a non-heterosexual relationship. And I think that's just so important in modern day cinema. It also adds this narrative of Antia finding sort of protection and solace in someone other than her mother, really sort of pushing the idea that these two women are drifting further and further away from each other to the point that Antia becomes an adult and just doesn't see it necessary at all to be in her mother's life. Okay, so here's my favourite change in the movie, in the film, the sea. Pedro takes this idea of Juliet, such Juliet, being a classicist and runs with it at full speed. The sea plays such a big part in what's happening in Julieta. It's honestly a character of its own. I don't know if you saw, if you have seen a film called Atlantics. I, I can't remember who it's by. Maybe Alice can look it up and chime in. <laughs> called Atlantics, but it's about Senghali's people and sort of trying to cross the ocean to get to Europe. In that, the sea honestly takes on a personality of its own and I would truly say the same thing is happening in Julieta. This idea that the sea can consume you but it could also give you life, that it doesn't have its own agenda yet can be kind but also tragically mean and dangerous at the same time. So going along with this idea of um, Greek tropes in Julieta. Uh, Penelope in the book has her name changed to Antia. Oh, hi Alice. <laughs> uh, I have the director. 
I'll be quicker next time. But um, director Matty Diop, are you talking about Ad- Atlantics in 2019? Yes, yes, Matty Diop, that's the name. Matty Diop, write it, written by him as well. Screenplay was by Her. Olivier. Her? Sorry. <laughs> Screenplay was by Olivier, Olivia Dimangel. And yeah. Great, thank you. Um, yeah, but check Atlantics out. It's heartbreaking and it's good to see African actors and African nation getting sort of critical acclaim um, in a film. Uh, so as I was saying, Penelope in Alice Munro's story has her name changed to Antia in Julieta. Antia is an ancient Greek name meaning flowery. I honestly couldn't I, I really I really thought about it and I'm just not sure why he made that change um, but Penelope in ancient Greece is the wife of Odysseus and she's famous for waiting decades for Odysseus to come home whilst everyone tells her he's lost at sea he's drowned at sea and she's rewarded after decades by Odysseus actually being alive um maybe perhaps Pedro thought this was very on the nose this sort of idea of cyclical generational family trauma and the relationships that the mothers have with the fathers but yes he changes Penelope's name to Antia I would say that Greek themes are more prominent in Julieta than in Runaway in Runaway, sort of towards the end of Juliet's life, she becomes reacquainted with her love for the classics. Whereas in Julieta, it, you know that she's a classicist and this is prominent before she meets her husband, but then after that, it sort of fades away, yet the narrative being sort of constructed by Pedro keeps these Greek themes going. Another interesting change is the effect of Eric slash Joan's death, going with this idea that Juliet has much more muted, simmering emotions. Her, <laughs> her role in Eric's death is a lot less punctuated. Um, she knows that he has been cheating on her with her best friend for a while and the only thing she really has to be guilty about is that she was quite cold to him in their last encounter before he goes out to sea and he drowns. Julieta, on the other hand, has a huge argument and blowout with Juan just before he goes out to sea. And honestly, he saw those clouds. He knew what was waiting for him, but somehow felt like this, I guess, was his penance for upsetting the person he loved so much. Her guilt is much much louder because she let him go out to sea knowing what it looks like out there and it was sort of their argument that prompted him to do something that day that he probably wouldn't have done. In a way the men in Julieta have a lot more um, of an effect on the women Uh, I would definitely say that the men have more of an effect on the women in Julieta 
Maybe I'm just saying that because in a book you sort of have to stay with the main character and stay in her mind and what's going on with her so we get to know Juliet a bit better but um, there's only two sort of prominent men in both, three actually, three prominent men in both and hmm, I'm trying to think. Yeah, they, they have more of an effect especially the first man, which um, is the man that Juliet and Julieta decides not to talk about, talk to on the train. A very lonely man decides to start a conversation with them and then being young women found that creepy and left. Um, only five minutes later, he decides to, to jump in front of the train. And this is Juliet and Julieta's first sort of acquaintance with uh, guilt, with guilt and grief and it shapes them quite a bit throughout their lives. This is much more emphasised in the film. You can really see how, Juliet, how Julieta just didn't get over this event that happened to her when she was only 21 years old. The final sort of word that I want to say about all of this is that the journey from book to film was done so seamlessly. There is, there's barely any changes. The main change being the end in the film where Julieta hears sort of briefly from her daughter. Um, there's, main, there's very rarely any changes, but there's also very rarely anything in the book that isn't said in the film. It's word for word in many ways, word for word. <laughs> the only other time that I sort of come across this is the film The Princess Bride and the book by William Goldman. It's like reading the script for the film. <laughs> um, and I felt in many ways like the same thing was happening here, except we weren't hearing the dialogue word for word, we were getting this visual storytelling. Uh, we also have two different actors playing Julieta and the difference between them is quite stark. Um, they're clearly very different ages and we see the young Julieta just all of a sudden within a scene become many many years older and looking like a completely different woman. I feel like this works because in many ways the older Julieta is a different woman. The things she stood for as a young person just don't seem to be there anymore. Um, it wouldn't make sense to just put the young actor in uh, a makeup that makes her look older, aging makeup. I thoroughly enjoyed both the book and the film. The book was an incredibly easy read, especially for someone like me who takes a good year to read something just because I get bored within five minutes. <laughs> I, yes, I am an English major, if you were wondering. <laughs> um, my main takeaway is that this is an incredibly sad, somber story being told by both creatives, yet with a good deal of re-readability or re-watchability. I think there's a lot more to be uncovered that I haven't mentioned as of yet and I'm really excited to delve back into both of these worlds. Um, 
the film being adapted from three short stories I also thought was quite interesting yet I felt more more of an experimental nature could have been undertaken I know it's not really Pedro's style but um, if he could also have played a little bit with time and when we as the viewer learn certain information that could have made for a more interesting but not more like sub substantive um, experience as a viewer. So yes, that's my final words on Runaway and Julieta. <laughs> so Alice, we've come to an end. Tell me, what did you think about today's topic about Alice Monroe, about Pedro? What did you think? Okay, so you know that I am very obsessive. I like to get really stuck in with characters, so I don't really do short stories so much. But um, Pedro, he sounds amazing. All Everything you kind of said about him sounds like something I would like love to consume. So I'm definitely going to check that one out. Alice, I'm going to give you a miss. I'm sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, I do. Th you're not really into really quite sad like slice of life reading, are you? No, I like joy in books. <laughs> and then it's really weird. I like joy in books, and then I'm a sucker for a, like sad movie, a dreadfully sad TV show. But I like like happy reading. Is that is that weird? No, I get it. Reading's more energy. Just more mm. mental, physical energy, mm. more time. I get it. To be sad, it's quite hard. Um, okay, so next week we have our first bonus ramble episode. I should say that episodes sort of this style, where we talked about um, Alice Munro and Pedro Almodovar, are happening every other week. And then we have sort of bonus episodes where we talk about pop culture things we've liked in media that type of thing more casual episodes coming on the tuesdays in between these more sort of like fleshed out serious episodes so alice is going to be way more vocal than those so why don't you tell people what our first bonus ramble is all about okay first bonus ramble is more of like an intro to lola and i um so the basis for the podcast is what you just heard um, books to films, films to books, whatever. And then um, our rambles will be a little bit more of insight into the two of us, what we like every day, kind of pop culture, um, mental health, you know, all the fun stuff. Um, and we're just going to keep those really light and simple. They will include TV shows, books, because we both love those things, but they will be very casual, chit casual, chill, like sit down videos. Um, you're going to, basically get like two podcasts in one essentially both very different vibes but we hope you like them yeah i'm sure you guys will <laughs> if you're here if you're at this part of the episode i'm sure you liked it so oh, <laughs> um and obviously this is such a new podcast we're going to get better um as we go along hopefully I'm going to sound less nervous <laughs> and if you're watching on YouTube it's gonna look less choppy because God only knows the amount of like fits of giggles and hysterics that I'm going to have to edit out I don't even want to think about it <laughs> um I guess the last thing to say is like a quick preview as a thank you if you're still here um our next 
episode of this style is going to be on the Chronicles of Narnia, the film, and the book, The Lion, The Witch and the Wardrobe. We're so excited. So excited. Much, much more chill than um, this episode. Very Christmassy. Yes, it's going to be our Christmas app as well. So we're going we're gonna to have Christmas-themed drinks to start the episode off. Hopefully it's going to be a lot of fun. Yes, I'm very excited. Yeah. So see you guys next Tuesday. Okay, love you. <laughs> you, not you guys. I don't know you yet. <laughs> oh, God. Taking that bit out. <laughs> I love you guys. Don't even worry about it. I got you. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs>Next Tuesday, we will be back with a ramble episode. So stay tuned until next week to find out more about what that will entail. If you enjoyed this episode of the Blue Hour podcast, please consider supporting us on social media. We're on Instagram at the Blue Hour podcast, no spaces or punctuation. And we'll leave the link in the description along with our personal social media. If you found our first episode promising, please, please, please leave us a five-star review it would mean the world to get more listeners and more feedback from you guys. There's also some links in the description for other things, including my mailing list called The Good Idea. And you can also buy us a coffee if you're feeling so inclined. If you're watching this episode on YouTube, I'm going to comment a bunch of videos and articles about Runaway and Julieta that I found really interesting whilst researching for this app. App. Ep episode <laughs> if you buy us a coffee i will literally send you a selfie with my starbucks as always stay safe and we'll see each other again soon <laughs>